thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, good morning to all of you. We're continuing with our series called More Than a Moment. And we were looking at the resurrection of Jesus, that he is alive, that he is well. This goes back to Easter. He walked the earth for 40 days. He gave the disciples final instructions. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, change the nations, make disciples, and I'm going to be with you always. But before you go, you need to stay in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And so they gathered in an upper room. God showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost and baptized them in the power of the Holy Spirit. They spoke with other tongues. People said this, man, those people are crazy. They are nuts. They are off their rocker. What in the world's going on? They must be drunk. And Peter stood up and he said, hang on. These people aren't drunk. These people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit just as the prophet Joel spoke about. And Peter stood up. He preached to thousands of people and 3,000 of them got saved that day on the day of Pentecost and the church was born. And that's where we're coming to today. And we're going to be talking about the church. The church is a wonderful, beautiful, powerful thing. And guess what? You're a part of it, which means you're a part of what God's doing in the world. And so we're going to talk about the church today. Everyone say the church. Just so you know, it's a good thing. It's not a, it's not a bad word. The church is a good thing. If you were to ask some people, maybe go to King Supers or Starbucks and say, hey, what's your opinion of the church? I bet you, you you'd probably hear some things about it that, you, that you may, would make you a little uncomfortable. Some of them actually might be right. But I want to talk to you about the church. There's lots of opinions about the church. Some say it's not necessary. Some say it's an old model and it was just, it's, it's just made up. It was in the Bible, but it isn't for today. Or some say it was just created so that some men could control other men. And they could just get your money. Some would say, you know, I don't need to gather with other believers. My church is a Sunday morning with my buddies out swinging and going for a 300-yard drive. Maybe that's my, what you think your church is. Some would say, you know, it doesn't really matter. I, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I don't need church. But I would have to tell you this. I would say those who, who reject the church, not all, but the majority of them who reject the church, say the church isn't necessary, there's no need for it today. I would say if you were to dig a little deeper in their life, you would find an instance where they were hurt by the church. Or they were hurt by someone in the church. Or they, maybe they were disappointed by a situation in the church. Or a leader didn't do something they thought he should have done. Or he did something that he never should have done. And they've said, forget the church. I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus and my, and my family. That's all that matters. But when we think about the church, when we start talking about what the church is, it's important we look at scripture because church isn't defined by what it was in 1990 or 2000 or what a church is right now today. The church isn't defined by the great revivals or, wow, I wish we could just go back to the good old days. That isn't what the church should be defined by. The church should be defined by what the scripture says the church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, how we are to interact with one another. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to look into that. Here's something that's very important before we read this is this. Jesus gave his life for the church. And he died on a cross to redeem an individual to live, not individualized, but to be called, but to call individuals to become a part of his family and live as a family. And to live as a family is this thing the Bible calls the church. Everyone say the church. I want to read you guys a passage of scripture that's really profound. Ephesians 5 says this. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus loved the church, there must be a reason for it. Now you may say, but the church has just saved people. That's kind of true. But according to Scripture, the church looks like something. It has a function of something. 
And so we want to talk about today, what is the function of that? Because if Jesus loved the church and gave himself, what does that mean? It means God loved the church so much that he took all that he had and he sent his son to this earth to die for you and me, to bring us as an individual into a group and family called the church. That's kind of important. It's important for us to understand that. If if God saw the worth of the church, the value of the church, in such a way that he would give everything he had, how many know that it's probably very, very important? You know, we say all the time, we tell our kids, listen, well, you, you get what you pay for. I mean, if they walk into a toy store, they buy a $2 toy, and two and a half minutes later, it's broken. Guess what? You get what you pay for. This is how it is. If that statement, if you think about it, you get what you pay for, look at the price of which, which God gave and paid for the church. It, we, he must think a lot of us. He must think a lot of you. He must think a lot of our function on the earth and what he wants to do in us and through us. And so we're going to talk about that today. And there are, there's something that's very important. If God brought you to be a part of this family and he gave his life for you to be a part of the family, here's something you need to know. You're part of the family. Now, turn and tell someone, you're a part of my family. Just go ahead and do that. Go ahead and tell them. Say, you're a part of my family. Now tell them, whether you like it or not, I'm a part of your family. Just got to deal with it. So in order to have a healthy family, you need this thing called unity. Everyone say unity. And the early church had unity. The, the church we find in Scripture had unity. And I want to talk to you about why the early church was able to, <coughs> excuse me, able to have unity. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, looking at verses, starting verses 42. Now this is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Remember, the 3,000 who were saved on that day that Peter preached, that was the group that became the church in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. I want you to see this. With glad and sincere hearts. It wasn't that, oh man, we got to go have lunch over at church. It was, they ate together with glad, sincere hearts, not uh, frustrated hearts that they have to actually put their face on and be a Christian today. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Everyone looked at the church and said, man, they are incredible. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is this amazing picture of the church. And we're going to look at this and say, what can we learn from the early church? What, what did God do in the early church that we can look at and say, man, how did they stay in unity? Because unity isn't easy. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So I want to look at some, just a few key things that how did the church maintain unity? The first thing was this. They were devoted to the word of God. The word of God was their foundation. The word of God is everything they built on. It was how they how they move forward, how they thought, you know what, how do we process this situation? They thought through the filter of the Word of God. They weren't devoted to a cause. They weren't devoted to, a, to something they were going after. They were devoted to the teachings of Scripture. The, the Word of God was the, at the center of that church in unity, and the apostles were teaching it. Now listen, they didn't have their New Testaments at that time. They didn't have their nice little, little, you know, New Test pocket New Testament they could pull out and read. It wasn't written yet. They were actually writing it at that time. So the apostles were teaching of the Old Testament. They were taking this scripture and saying that one pointed to Jesus. That Jesus fulfilled this scripture. This is our promise for today. And they were preaching and teaching from the Old Testament. But they also the apostles were talking about, hey, one time I was hanging out with Jesus. And he said this. And what he means by that is that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And they began to talk together. The apostles were teaching. And they were telling their experiences with Jesus and what Jesus said. And the word of God, I want you to hear this for a moment, is at the center of a church in unity. It's it's at the center. 
And this was at the center of their lives. And they were hungry and they were devoted. They wanted everything that God had for them. They were excited about what God was doing. And the church was in unity. Second reason why they were in unity, I want to look at real quick, is this, that they were of one heart and mind. One heart and mind. They had a common goal. They had a common vision. There wasn't confusion on why they existed. They understood the big picture. They knew this. We exist as the church to know Jesus and to make him known. They weren't distracted by all this kind of other bigger things. That, how do we do this? And how do we make this happen? And how do we become popular? They didn't care. They said, we're here to know Jesus. So they listened to the word of God. They listened to the apostle teaching. They would be challenged. They would call out to God. God's presence would come in their midst. And then they would say, now let's go make him known to the world. Those two things, know Jesus and make him known. One heart, one mind. They didn't have 37 different things going. They came to know Jesus and they came to make him known. And thirdly, they were totally unselfish. How do they maintain unity? Well, they were completely and totally unselfish. This is not a, this is a dirty word in American culture. Unselfish. Everyone say unselfish. Oh, good. So we can say we're good. They were unselfish. They didn't hold tightly to their possessions. If someone had a need, they thought, what can I do to meet that need? Now, it doesn't mean that there were no parameters. It doesn't mean there was no boundaries on what they gave or who they were given, given it to. But what it means is that they were aware that their, their job was to meet the needs of the congregation as they would meet their needs of their neighbor or their fellow believer. And so when there was a need, they thought, you know what, I have this piece of land, I'm going to sell this because you need that. And they gave to one another. They had all things in common. And they were doing it as a church in unity. The other thing they were doing that allowed them to be in unity was this, they were totally kingdom-minded. They were about God's kingdom. They were interdependent, not independent. It wasn't about building their kingdom or their church or their ministry name. It was about building God's kingdom. They were focused on, on him. They were focused on building God's kingdom. They knew as the apostles were talking to them, they said, hey, listen, Jesus said one time to Peter that he, that he, Jesus, will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, so come on, guys, let's move forward. Let's build God's kingdom. Let's see amazing things happen. And they were in unity with this idea that it's all about the kingdom. It was all about Jesus. It was all about him. It was all about the, the God who sent his son to die on a cross and he rose from the dead and he's alive. He filled us with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus. Everyone say it's all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. They weren't confused. They weren't chasing after rabbits. They were, they were chasing after Jesus. They, they were, all the time, they were talking about him, 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 him. They didn't have time to talk about I, 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 and me. It was all about him. Fifthly, how do they maintain unity? They passionately loved Jesus. They passionately loved Jesus. Jesus. They had that in common. We love Jesus. We're going to get to know Jesus more. We're going to grow together more. This is the most wonderful thing about the early church. They just loved Jesus. They just loved Jesus. It was not a religion. They weren't checking anything off their box. They just loved Jesus. Jesus. And when they gathered together, they were hearing teachings about Jesus. When they worshiped together, they were worshiping this man who was fully God called Jesus. They just loved Jesus. Peter, who was the leader of the church at that time, later wrote a letter to a church that he wrote in, in a book called Second Peter or Two Peter that we have today. And in that book, Peter is encouraging these, these, this church plant to have unity. 
So, and he encouraged them. He says, what unites you is not the issue of the day. It's not the troubles of the day. It's not common opposition. It's not who's running for, for presidency. And so let's get together. And now we can have something in common and so we can hate this person and make sure we vote for this person and make sure you register to vote before that person. That was not what, was, what united them. That's weak when it com- compares to Jesus. It wasn't about something that they were doing together. It was not about the failed world system that united them, but the one thing that united the church was, he said this, was faith and love in Jesus Christ. Listen, I like simple. I want to I wanna live a life of simplicity. This is what I want. I want us as a church. I want us to know and love Jesus, and then I want us to make him known around the world and in our community. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. Know Jesus. Make him known. Know Jesus, make him known. That's why the early church existed. And for us as a church, for all churches, we must be careful that Jesus is at the center of our church vision. Jesus is at the center. It's very easy to get distracted with the cause. You know what? We're going we're gonna to do missions. There's nothing wrong with missions. But if you lose focus of, you know, if we do missions and we get this, this uh, someone recognizes here and we get a little shine and lights and pop over here. But we forget that the whole reason why we do missions is because we are in love with Jesus. We don't do men's ministry because, wow, that's really cool. We do men's ministry because we are in love with Jesus. We don't do Israel ministry. We don't do women's ministry. We do nothing, nothing apart from the love of Jesus Christ. That must be the center of everything we do. And you have to be careful because a cause all of a sudden begins to unite you instead of Jesus. And so we champion the cause so much that people lose sight that it's all about loving Jesus. And you get your worth by being championed. Yay, we're doing this. Yay, we're going there. But wait a minute. Are we championing anyone? Because you know what? You are in love with Jesus. You know what? I'm so impressed by you because you were just in love with Jesus. That's what mattered to them. They were passionately in love with Jesus. The church was unified. The church had unity. And actually, earlier in the Gospels in John 17, Jesus was praying. And he prayed this incredible prayer that I want us to look at today. He said this, my prayer is not for them alone. And he was talking about the disciples who were preaching the message of him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, you and I, what happened? The message started to be preached from Jerusalem. It went around the world. Missionaries went from this place to this place to this place, preaching Jesus. And that's why you and I are here today. Those 12 disciples left from Jerusalem and preached the gospel, and it made it to us all the way around the world. That was pretty amazing. So he's actually praying for us, that all of them may be one. Everyone say one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now look at that. That the world may believe that you have sent me. There's something very powerful there. And he goes on to say, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. There's that word again. The whole purpose and prayer of Jesus was about unity for you and me. Then the world will know. Again, here's this other statement. If they're in unity, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What an incredible prayer by Jesus. Unity was given to us by God. And so for us today, how do we maintain that unity? After we've seen what the early church and how they, were, how they maintain unity and what God used them to do. And listen, the miraculous happened in their midst because they were in unity. How do we maintain it today? First, let me say this. I believe that we as a church of Faith Bible Chapel are at a season and a time of God's favor. I really believe that. You may say, oh, Jason, that's just what you want. No, that's what God wants, and I believe it's for us. I believe that we are at a season that God's going to begin to pour out something fresh and new on all of our lives as a community called Faith Bible Chapel. 
But here's the deal. That favor flows to us only when we are in unity. And not that we're struggling for that, but it's something to fight for. And we'll talk more about how do we do that. Psalm 133, 1 and 3 says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. There's this word again. This must be a theme in the Bible. This whole thing called unity. This must actually really matter to God. For there, where, when we're in unity, for in unity the Lord bestows his blessing. He bestows his blessing on people who are in unity. That's what the scripture says. So when we, when we are in unity, it commands the blessing of God. Listen, this works for families, for relationships, but particularly for the church. Listen, you can walk in a home and you can tell immediately if that home is in unity. You can just feel it. You can walk in a home and all of a sudden there's a sense of peace and a sense of God's favor and a sense of God's blessing. And you know, wow, they must be in unity. You, we may be able to hide it on the outside, but the favor and the blessing of a, of a house, let's say this house, can be recognized immediately if we are a people in unity or if we are people in disunity. But this was the, the early church was able to be who they were because they were in unity. But what this means to me, that when we're in unity, what it means is this. Wherever you've come from today, no matter where you're at, no matter what your struggles are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how broken your life is and what the deficit that you feel in your own soul, that when we gather together, when we meet together, wherever we are together, it commands God's blessing and his blessing and his favor is going to be upon you. And he's going to meet you where you are. He's going to meet your needs when you come and you gather together in church. Because for one, Jesus paid for it. It matters to him. For two, the scripture says where his brethren and sisters and you and I, the family dwells together in unity. It commands God's blessing. So listen, you can chase after all kinds of, I want, to, I want God's blessing here, so I'm going to buy $5 to get that holy water so I can sprinkle it on my house. Or I'm going to, I'm going to pray for this and give $20 for this. Or, yeah, listen, hang on. The Bible says, if you want God's blessing, pursue unity. Amen. Well, it's much easier to give $5. Unity is where it's at. Unity is the will of God. It's a big deal. Timothy Keller said this, unity is not simply the work of the Spirit, but the very instrument through which the Spirit works. So if we want to see God do amazing things in our midst. If you, want to, if you want to see God break down barriers in your life and bestow unto you his blessing and release his kindness into your life, if you want to see that according to Scripture, pursue unity. Now before you understand this corporate idea of unity, we need to understand we are made up of individuals that come together to make this thing called the church. We need personal unity, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. It's kind of like this. I heard someone say one time, you know, I would love going, I would love, I love going to church, except for there's people there. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be easy if church was just me and my Bible? I could just, just me and Jesus. We just go wherever we want. We're in perfect unity, me and Jesus. But according to Scripture, there's more to it. You're part of a family, and I'm grateful for that. So how do we maintain this unity that has happened in our lives in our church? One, and we're going to run through a few of these. We need to realize that we are a church that's made up of individuals. We are a church that's made up of people. First Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you, collectively and individually. 
So it means this, yes, Jesus saves us. He calls us as an individual. The Holy Spirit draws us, convicts us. We become a follower of Jesus. But then what happens is, is you then become a part of his family. That's what happened. We are adopted into his family immediately, and we become a part of a family. Whether you like it or not, you're part of the family. And his family is beautiful. And we all have different backgrounds. We have different filters. We're all broken. We're all reacting to certain things. We all, we all come to a place where you think, yeah, but that's not how my daddy did it. Well, what about your heavenly daddy? How would he do? We all come from, we, we filter situations differently. So someone says something, we think, well, do they mean this? Do they mean that? We're all broken. We're all individuals. And maybe someone would make a statement like this, you know, my church would be amazing if everyone was just like me. Wouldn't that be great? Thank God the church isn't like me, I'll tell you that. But it would be easier, because I know how I think. But we all come from different places. It's kind of like my wife and I, we grew up in two different, our filters are totally different. She grew up in Arvada in this church. I grew up in a little podunk town in the very southern tip of Illinois. And listen, we lived in a rural community, farming community. So when we go down the road and we see a bunch of deer, she sees Bambi. I see dinner. It's a totally different thing. But we're still in unity. It's the same way with church. Something comes up, someone says, oh, I see this. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's that. Secondly, how do we maintain unity? We fan the flame of uniqueness. This is something very powerful. We fan the flame of uniqueness. All of us are unique. All of us have different personalities. All of us are, God has brought us into this family. For one, he chose us, which means he wants you to be a part of his family. We are, we, our personalities, the, the, the small things about them are important. They are from God. I mean, you could have two people serving the same God, being obedient to, obedient to the same scripture, and those individuals will be totally different. You see it in families, you can, you can grow up in a family with four children, and each one of those children will be crazy different than the other person. Some will be crazier than others. You think they have the same parents, same upbringing, same meals, and this one's nuts. And that one. And that one too. And they're all different. How does that work? They're unique. Just like the fingerprint on, none, on each of us, none of us are the same. Well, it's the same way when God begins to birth uniqueness in his people. Let me tell you this. It is an expression of his personality. God, is, God does not wear a choir robe and have a staff and a, and a beard. And so we should all be sober like that. What are you talking about? Each of us are made in the image of God. So each of us express the uniqueness of who God is. And guess what? The world needs it. And our church needs it. Thank God for people who are different than us. Because they give us a different perspective. We see things differently. I love to be around people that are totally different than me. I enjoy that. Because it helps me understand the uniqueness of God. Psalm 139.13 says this. For you, speaking of God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, as, as we know we are all unique, it is on purpose that you are unique. You are purposely weird. That's true. God created you because the expression of your life on this earth does him proud. Because he made you. Who am I to say, you know who I am? I'm, I'm not, you know, I got to act this way. Now, I'm not talking about the teachings of Scripture. Obviously, Scripture is very clear. We all have, have, have flesh that has fallen, and we all have to crucify our flesh to be followers of Jesus and obedient to Jesus. But a person, still, people who are obedient to Jesus are drastic, drastically different. But that's what makes us a family. Unity doesn't mean we all have to look alike, sound alike, dress alike, think alike. It means we have the same Lord. 
It means we obey the same commands and we're a part of the same family. Here's the deal. I love you even though you're different than me. And you still may be trying to figure out if you love me or not, but I promise you, you will. (laughs) All of us are born and original. All of us are. There's not one person on this earth that's exactly like another person. All of us are born and original, but somehow church tries to just conform people into this little cookie cutter. Oh, you know, if I can make you look like me, I'll feel comfortable. I'll feel more comfortable. All of us are born and original, but most of us in our journey of life, we die a copy. By the time we get to the end of our lives, we, we've conformed to try to be like somebody or, so, or something else. Listen, if we can try to conform and be like Jesus, all of us can be like Jesus, but we will still be drastically different. Our church is to be the, be the place where people feel welcome to be ourselves. And there is the temptation in Christianity to make everyone look exactly the same, dress the same, sing the same, all of that. But I believe true unity is when we celebrate diversity in our midst. I really do. Again, I'm not talking about compromise of the word of God. I'm talking about we hold that closely. We watch doctrine closely. But as we, that becomes the foundation of our church, just as it was in the early church. People are allowed to be themselves and express God's purpose for their lives on the earth and in the church. Thirdly, how do we maintain unity? We pursue unity with others. We pursue it. We actively go after it. Romans 12, 18 says, if if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. If you can do something about it, then do something about it. That's what Paul's saying. Now, why was Paul writing that to the church in Rome? Because they were struggling keeping peace. And he was telling them, listen, there's a problem with somebody in the church there. You do whatever you can do to work it out. It's on you. Ephesians 4, 2, two through 6 says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all through all and in all. It's interesting here, Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, he says this, make every effort to keep. Why do you think he did that? Because they were struggling to keep. Listen, this was a church that was so close Jesus of Jesus walking the earth. Some of the people that, that, that even interacted with him may have seen Jesus themselves. They were close to the source. And Paul's like, listen, keep the unity. Keep it. Do what it takes. Listen, if you're struggling with unity in church, listen, you're not alone. That's why Paul was talking to the Ephesians, because they were struggling too. Unity isn't easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it when you begin to look at the benefits from it. Unity doesn't come natural. you got to work at it. So unity takes effort. It takes effort. For us to be a family and for us to to function, for us to command the blessing of God, it takes an effort. It's really hard. Listen, no couple in marriage is completely compatible. You, You think you are before you get married, and then a marriage happens. All the married people say amen. All right. The beauty of marriage is that it's about you learning to deal with your incompatibilities. And you celebrate your similarities, but you learn to deal with your incompatibilities. It's the same as the church. It's the same as the church. We learn to deal. It's what gives us our value that we work through things. It's hard to have unity. We as a staff, guess what? We don't always agree on stuff. You mean pastors don't agree? You better believe it. But I can disagree and and we can come to a place and just say, you know what, I love you. We can laugh about it and say, well, this is what I think, this is what you think. Listen, it doesn't matter. If it matters, we got to deal with it. But if it really doesn't matter in the scheme of things, it, 
It's okay. We accept one another. We're friends. We, 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 we enjoy life together. Romans 15 says this, accept one another. Why did he tell them to accept one another? Because they were struggling to accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring. Now what does acceptance do? It brings praise to God. It glorifies his name. Lord, we are church that we are going to be in unity with one another because we want to worship you. We want to glorify you because Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about me. Unity requires honesty. Now, that's a big one. Now, honesty matters, but also how you do it matters. I love people around me who are honest. I do. I really love it. It makes me feel safe when I'm around them if they're honest with me, if I know they're going to be honest. There's uh, one of our elders here at the church. I can always count. If I, if I ask him a question, he will tell me what he actually thinks. I know it. I feel safe around him. I never have to guess what he's thinking about because he's going to tell me. And I love that. That's important to me. Proverbs 24, 26 says this, an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. I know he's my friend. And when, he, when people ask me a question, I'm telling you, I'm going to be honest with you. People who know me, I'm honest. If you want to know, ask me. I'll tell you. Because you're my friend. I love you. And I want you to respond the same to me. There are people here in the church that are very honest with me. There are people who disagree with some of the things I, I say in some of my messages. Not a lot, but that's okay. I respect that when they will write me a letter and say, hey, you said this, and I, I don't know, I kind of see it this way. What do you think? Question mark. And they, and they actually sign their name. I love that. Well, let's dialogue. Let's sit down and talk. We'll meet, we'll meet out in the atrium. We'll go to coffee. We'll talk it through. Oh, well, this is kind of how I see it. And why? Because I trust them because they were honest with me. And I'm, I can be honest with them because we are committed to be in unity. We're committed to be friends. We're committed because we love each other. Now, there's one gentleman who sends me, and he comes at every service. And when I say something that he doesn't agree with, he will send me, hey, Jason, that was really good, that really, but let me ask you about this. And then he'll give me some commentary quotes and what he thinks about that. Man, I love the guy. We laugh together. We, we, we disagree together. And sometimes he's written to me, and I've read what he says. I said, you know what? You're totally right. I'm wrong. Now, he's yet to admit he was wrong, but that's another story. <laughs> But I love that because I can trust him. I, I don't have, he's, not, he's not out talking behind my back or going or any of the other leaders in the church. He'll just come and ask us. Man, I love that because unity requires honesty. So how do we keep, how do we keep unity? How, how, do we, how, do, how are we honest with, with one another? We've already read it. Ephesians 4.2. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. That's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. You take on the nature of the one of whom you're following. Gentle, patient, and love. But truthful. Also, unity in the church requires consistency of relationship. Consistency of relationship. Which means we're together. On a consistent basis. In my own family, all of us can attest to this. In my own family, when all of a sudden we kind of feel like we're distant. We feel like we're just not unified. We're just not syncing up. It's like we're speaking, we're speaking two different languages. You, we can trace that back. You know what? We're not being consistent in our relationship. I'm not spending quality time with my wife. I'm not spending quality time with my family. And all of a sudden, unity begins to break down because consistency of relationship is the key to being in unity. Listen, not just in the church, but in any relationship, but particularly today about the church. So what does that, what does that mean for us? Before I answer that question, 
I came across this quote from Joel Osteen, which I absolutely agree with. He says this, you can be committed to church, but not committed to Christ. That's true. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to church. If Jesus gave his life, he paid the price, all he could get, he spilt his blood and gave up his body so that you and I can become the church. How do you know if it's important to him, it should be important to us. And that's why we're the church. That's why the early church, every day they met together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. This is powerful. This, you may think, Jason, this is very basic. It's basic, but we don't fully understand it sometimes. We lose sight of it. I do. We can lose sight of what it means for us to be a family. What it means for us to need one another. To be a part in this world called our church. That's why one of the reasons why we wanted to do this lunch next week. We wanted just to create an opportunity for people. Let's just sit and have a meal together. Let's hang out. You can bring your own meal or you can buy one at the food trucks. But let's get together and let's have a meal. Not some big deal. It's not, I mean, we don't have to jump through eight hoops. Let's just, let's just have a meal together. Let's break bread. Let's, let's eat. I'll tell you you got a little mustard. You tell me you got, it's fine. Let me have some of your food. Some people are like, don't touch my food. <laughs> but let's just be a family. That's what we wanted to create. So if you can make that next week, please do. If you can't, totally understand. But those of us who can, let's do that together. If, if, if you want to be close, let's do that. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So listen, there was a movement a while ago, that, or a few years ago, that said, you know what? Church, it's actually, it's a pagan thing. The whole model comes from pagan, whole pagan worship, pagan this. That's what they thought. But actually, that wasn't the case. Very clear, Scripture says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Why? Because unity requires consistency of relationship. It requires us to be together. It requires us to hang out together. It requires us to worship together. It requires us to have fun together. I'm telling you, and I'm not lying to you. I wouldn't stand up here and lie to you. You might think I am, but I'm not. The highlight of my week, I'm telling you the truth, is when we come and gather and worship together. For me, it's the highlight of my week. I can't wait to be here with you. I can't wait to worship God together. I can't wait to see what God wants to do in our midst and who he wants to speak to and how he wants to minister in our midst. And I, I can't wait. We've seen, I've seen God do some things in many of your lives over the last few weeks that's just been amazing to me. I can't wait. This is the highlight of my week because I know God is doing something. I feel closer to you. You feel closer to me. And we're growing this thing called a family. Listen, a family, is, it, it is not easy. It takes hard work. But my friends, it is worth it. Because I love you. I don't want to go through life by myself. I don't want to face things by myself. I don't want you to face them either. That's why we want people to be connected. What's the point of being a, a family, a community, if we just come into a building? Listen, this building is not the church. We could take this thing up, blow it up, burn it, and guess what? Faith Bible Chapel still exists because you and me are the church. That's what Jesus paid for. He didn't pay for a building. He paid for you and me to be part of a family. And it's wonderful. Now, what's another thing we have to do to maintain unity? It's this. We need to distinguish essentials from non-essentials. The enemy loves this one. Man, he will get people worked up in a frenzy over non-essentials. Man, people will leave a church. They'll do whatever. What really matters? Non-essentials. What are you talking about, Lord? I don't know. I don't know your view of the rapture. If you think, well, the, by God, the rapture is going to happen, I'm, I'm pre this and mid that and post that or I'm pan that. Listen, some people, churches have split down the middle. Well, if you don't believe in the rapture, then I'm out of here. That's ridiculous. Here's another one. You guys ready for this one? 
This is going to throw you off. I hope you don't leave over this one. You want to hear another non-essential? Worship music style. Preference. Here's another one. The Bible translation that you read. I'm telling you, I've heard someone tell me, I, I, I read the NIV, I also read New King James. I, I move around, they said the NIV, that's the nearly inspired version. Some people think there's only one translation. If you don't read that translation, all the rest are going to lead you to hell. And they will stay, they won't even allow, it. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I've been around a person, they wouldn't even allow me, because I have my Bible, it was NIV. No, I'm, I'm, I can't be around that. That is ridiculous. Jesus paid for us to be a family. Let's work it out. Non-essentials. Let's, let's overlook some of this stuff. It might even be the gifts of the Spirit. It is a non-essential to eternity in heaven. We just taught through some areas of the book of Acts. We just taught through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've, we've been teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. But guess what? I have a good friend in this, in this church who says, you know what? I'm not totally for sure about the gifts. That's totally fine. You're my brother. We're just going to be, we're going to love Jesus together. We're going to know Jesus and we're going to make him known because that's what matters. Let's be careful that that which doesn't matter, we all of a sudden make, make it matter and we divide relationship. Because the enemy, if he can get us in disunity, then he knows that it keeps the blessing of God from flowing through us in a supernatural way to the world. That's what he's trying to do. So we need to distinguish essentials and not essentials. What really matters? Many times unity is this, giving up the right to be right on non-essentials. And the last one is this. And I like this one. True unity, I like them all, but I like this one the best. True unity produces kingdom growth. True unity releases the supernatural in our midst in a way that is uncontrollable. The church and the New Testament church, it grew, as we just read, it grew every day. The kingdom was exploding. The kingdom was moving forward. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Listen, when you and I are in unity, it screams to the world, the God that we serve is real. When you and I are in unity, it says to, to everyone around us that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. So you don't think unity is that big of a deal? It is a major deal according to the prayer of Jesus, which we're going to read in just a moment. People are attracted to the family of God. People are attracted to committed followers of Jesus. They are attracted. People are attracted to truth and absolutes. People aren't looking for suggestions. They're looking for something they can anchor their life to. They're not looking for floating buoys. They're looking for an anchor. And we know this to be true, that the Word of God is the anchor. It's what we hold on to. This is the essentials. Everything in here are the essentials. And we read this and we study this and we apply this to our lives. People are attracted to truth. They're attracted to people in unity. Because unity gives us Again, the credibility of the message that we have about Jesus. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17. Again, let's look at it one more time. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then he says this. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity. I've given them the glory that you gave me, which blows my mind. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete 
unity. What will that do? Then the world will know that you sent me. He says it twice in his one prayer. That is significant. Unity says to the world, my God loves you. He accepts you. You can be a part of this family. So here's a question for us. What areas are we not in unity? We need to let God to examine us because when we are not in unity, we are blocking the blessing of God on our lives to flow through us and in us. Jesus is praying this prayer. Scripture tells us that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. What's he interceding about? This, that we would be one. That you and I could be one. That we could focus on the essentials. You can be my brother. You can be my sister. And that we can be part of a family called Faith Bible Chapel. And we can disagree on stuff, but it's okay. Because I love you. And you love me. Unity is where it's at. And for us as a church and for the great things God has for us, I believe we are at a season of God's favor. I really do. I believe God's going to pour out something significant on us in in a way that we haven't seen. But before we start focusing on what that's going to look like, let's focus on unity. Let's focus on you and I loving one another, being faithful to one another, praying for one another. Not forsaking gathering together. It doesn't mean we're legalistic about, did you make it to church? You didn't make it to church? Well, then you're breaking unity. That's fooey. Things are going to come up. Life's going to happen. But let's just be dedicated to be together, to worship together, to seek God together. Let's have a sense that this is my family. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make us succeed. The world is desperate. The world is hungry. And it needs the Savior that we have. We want God's blessing commanded in our midst. I want God's blessing commanded here, and I know you do too. I want God to add to our numbers every day because of our unity. And I want us to be the answer to his prayer, Jesus' prayer, that we would be one. And he would do amazing things in your life and in our lives and as a church. Let's all stand to our feet. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.